We know our words have an incredible effect on the world around us, don't we? We know that our, our, our mouths have an incredible effect on the people around us. And we know how we can nuance things so that what should be something positive is really something incredibly negative. Uh, in fact, there's a, um, something that happens, a phrase that happens in our house from time to time, and I'm not going to tell you who because uh, that would embarrass her, but I will say that sometimes someone in my house um, uh, will tell the other person, um, it's not what you said, but you, that happens in your house, right? <laughs> wow, that's amazing. You, you know this. See, it's, it's not necessarily what you said, but how you said it, we can nuance that. You can say the right thing in the wrong way and it makes it wrong. You can say the right thing at the top of your lungs and you are wrong. You, can, you know the difference between the right thing in the right way and the right thing in the wrong way in your day-to-day -day conversations. Young military guys, you know the difference between yes sir and yes sir, right? Older military guys, you know the difference when someone says, yes, sir, and yes, sir, right? You know the difference. Uh, you know the difference, uh, those who are married in the room, between, man, I cannot believe that I'm married to my spouse, and I cannot believe I am married to my spouse, right? You, you know the difference between these things. You know the difference between when your kids tell you, I am so glad that you are my parents. I don't know if kids actually say that, but you know the difference between that and I cannot believe that you're my parent. I am not happy about it, right? You just, you know, you know the difference. When it comes to what we say, it's so important that we say the right thing. It, it is. It is. But how we say it is also just as important. Because our words have deep effects, both with what we say and with how we say it. And God is deeply concerned with both what you say and how you say it. In fact, we'll be in Proverbs 15 this week. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, if you do, turn to the book of Proverbs, chapter 15. I'm going to read Proverbs 15. We're going to hear what God says about what we say, because it's important that we understand what God says about what we say. And then we're going to jump into this whole chapter together this morning. And now, normally what I do is I take a passage and um, I kind of walk through it. And then the structure of the sermon is really driven from the structure of the passage. If you want to know a fancy term for that, that's what uh, uh, expository preaching is. That's, that's kind of what I know to do. I'm, not, I'm decent at that, but I'm really not good at the, <laughs> anything else. And so like, that's what I do. This week is a little bit different because the way that, that Proverbs is designed, we're getting into a time in the book of Proverbs the way that it's structured, where the next several weeks, the entire chapter is just kind of good saying after good saying, and sometimes they correlate, and sometimes they don't. 
And sometimes it seems like they contradict one another, and other times they're, uh, they talk about the same thing, and other times they're on totally separate uh, ends of the spectrum when it comes to topics or ideas. And so this week, the best way to understand what we're looking at in Scripture is for me to get out of what I like to do with Scripture and to let Scripture speak for itself and help us see altogether what God is teaching us through the entire chapter of Proverbs in Proverbs chapter 15. And so that being said, listen to what God says to us in Proverbs 15, verses 1 through 33. Uh, Solomon tells us, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. All right, so just from the beginning, here's what you need to know in chapter 15. This whole idea in chapter 15 is surrounding the idea of how and why we ought to use words. Continuing on in verse 2, the tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth of fools pour out folly. The eyes of the Lord, verse 3, are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. A fool despises his father's instructions, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. In the house of the righteous there is much treasure, but trouble befalls the income of the wicked. The lips of the wise spread knowledge, not so the hearts of fools. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who pursues righteousness." Well, there's a severe discipline for him who forsakes the way. Whoever hates reproof will die. Sheol and Abaddon lie open before the Lord. How much more the hearts of, ch of the children of man. A scoffer does not like to be reproved. He will not go to the wise. A glad heart makes a cheerful face. With the sorrow of heart, the, by sorrow of heart, the spirit is crushed. The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fools feeds on folly. All the days of the afflicted are evil. But the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than a great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love, is th where love is than a fattened ox of hatred with it. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. The way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish man despises his mother." Uh, but folly is a joy to him who lacks sense, but a man of understanding walks straight ahead. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. To make an apt answer is, to joy, is a joy to a man, and a word in season, how good it is. The path of life leads upward for the prudent, that he may turn from Sheol beneath. The Lord tears down the house of the proud, but maintains the widow's boundaries." The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but gracious words are pure. Whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household, but he who hates bribes will live. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. The light of the eye rejoices the heart, and the good news refreshes the bones." The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom, and humility comes before honor. 
All right, just being honest, does anyone feel like we just went to a Chinese food place and opened a bunch of random uh, cookies to read what it has to say, right? Yeah, welcome to the book of Proverbs, you know? Uh, and so what in the world do we do with all of this? Well, here's, here's what I want you to see as we go through. Last week I said that devotion to God and devotion to wisdom are inseparable, And we started talking about the idea that walking in a wise way is being like Jesus. We started understanding the idea that as we pursue Jesus, we are pursuing what it means to walk in wisdom. And as we pursue biblical, godly wisdom, true wisdom, we will find ourselves pursuing Christ. Because scripture tells us that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Jesus Christ. And one of the chief ways that we show uh, that we are wise and that is that we are becoming what we are saying. That our life lines up with the words of our mouth. That what we say is wise is how indeed we are living. I mean, you know this. When you first get to know somebody, you begin to talk with them. Now, talking has taken a bunch of different forms in a bunch of different ways. And so now, I don't know, maybe uh, like you text instead of have a real conversation. That's like a real thing. It's awesome. I feel so old, but I just laugh in the corner as I watch a boyfriend and girlfriend fight at 16 over text. And I mean, I do it too. But like the point is like different ways of communicating. You get to know somebody so you know ultimately what's in their heart, how they feel about something, how they respond about something. In fact, the very end in verse 33, uh, 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 Solomon points out, he says, the fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom and humility comes before honor. You know that uh, that the, the right word at the wrong time or the wrong word at the wrong time is indeed wrong, even with good intentions. It's like a, uh, a greeting card that was supposed to encourage you, but someone put glitter in it as you open it, right? Like, it doesn't matter what the card said. You're frustrated, or at least I am. Like, what? This is glitter. No matter how you try to clean it up, it is everywhere forever. Like, God cares he cares deep. He cares deeply about your words. He cares deeply about not just the intention, but also the effect. He cares deeply, not just because he cares about what you say and don't say, but because, as we learned last week, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That being like Jesus involves, begins when we fear God. And in that process of understanding who he is, and our lives are now his, and our existence now exists to be more and more like Jesus, that now in chapter 15, verse 33, he gives us a practical step of what it looks like to be like Jesus, and that's to receive instruction in him, growing in humility before the honor of knowing Jesus ever comes. In fact, all throughout the the chapter 15 in Proverbs, over and over, God's character is revealed and his reaction is revealed toward our words. 
Look at verse 3. God is watching everywhere for evil and good words. Verse 11, he sees what's in your heart, and it's like the most obvious thing in the world to him. Verse 9, he, he is horrified. He abhors evil ways, but he loves people who run hard after him in righteousness with their words. In verse 26, even though your thoughts are seen, he is gracious. He loves graciousness and words toward him. They are seen as pure to him. Verse 29, the Lord stays away from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of those who follow him. You see, God not only hears our words, he knows the heart in our words. And what our words reveal about our heart, man, that can be frightening, can it? Like when you say what you said, how you said it, when you said it, if you examine that, you realize that even though I said the right thing, that I meant the wrong thing, and underneath the thing, under the thing, is really what's scary because I intended that to hurt using what should have been good, soft words. Jesus said this. He said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You see, sometimes we believe that because we thought it, it's right. We think that because we feel strongly about it, that it's right. We often think, and all of us think, that because we have something to say, we ought to have the right to say it. And what that reveals about our heart, what we think and what we feel and how we react, those things are a gift from God showing us that we need a God that can save us, not just from the things that we are doing and are not doing, but the intention behind it. The depth of sin that makes its way down even into the good things we try to do and the motive behind the motive behind it. That we're often like, man, we're often so proud when we wanted to say something, but we didn't, or we controlled our feelings instead of indulging them. When we time our responses to hit the way we wanted them at the right time, instead of immediately just blurting it out, or, or we held back, though we were entitled to an opinion. We're, we're proud when we exhibit self-restraint or self-denial, and oftentimes that's the measure of wisdom that we mark ourselves and others by, by whether or not they gave in to what they wanted to say but didn't. And man, that's a good thing. It's an incredible thing to show self-restraint and self-denial, and that is truly an aspect of the Christian life. But the Christian life is about way more than just having nice words. The Christian life is about not just self-restraint and words, but denying yourself to follow Jesus, that you would say what he would have you say, when he would have you say it, how he would have you say it. It's not found only just by keeping your natural impulses of words under control, but literally by putting your natural verbal impulses to death so that your impulse is now Jesus' words to those around you. 
The Christian life is not measured before God by fighting for our personal entitlements about how we ought to have our opinion heard about something that we believe we ought to have it about, although that can be a good thing. It's not found in fighting that, by, but by continually submitting to God's providential limits on us. That we are like the Apostle Paul who comes to realize, man, I have been crucified with Christ. It's not me who lives. It is Christ that lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. You see, we live not just outwardly, but also in our expressions as those that are, have a kingdom that is not of this world because we don't have a kingdom of this world. We have a kingdom of God that we represent, and we are his direct representatives. We are his ambassadors. We live as those who were dead and now have been made alive and sent forward to proclaim the words of Christ as Christ's word ambassadors. Like we live as those who not only have heard the word of God, but now are making it heard. You see, last week, I said that devotion to God and devotion to wisdom are inseparable because we're called to be like Jesus, who is wisdom. That when you seek God, you ought to also, or you will find yourself seeking wisdom. And in that process, to man, to be like Jesus and to bear his name absolutely includes representing him how we speak and what we speak and when we speak. I just think about it like this. Of all of the ways you will be known for Jesus in your life, the thing that people see most about you or interact with most about you is what you say. They can't always see what you do, but your Facebook post lives in infamy forever. And though what people have done to us do deeply affect us, and we carry that over the years, I bet every person in here can remember the place and the location and the moment and the look in their eyes and the way that it felt and what you were wearing and the time of day when that person said those words. We know that it's true, and it's often said that the pen is mightier than the sword. Or more importantly, as we just heard from what James said, that if we put bits into our mouth into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Like look at ships also, though they're so large and are driven by strong winds. They're guided by, by a very small rudder where the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue, and it's such a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a force to set ablaze by such a small fire. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. So let's look at Proverbs chapter 15 and let's learn together how to speak because Jesus, who is wisdom, calls us to speak wisely, or to use New Testament language, calls us to speak as a Christian, and now to further dissect that, 
calls us to speak as those who represent and are his. Let's look together at what he would have us say and how he would have us say it. Because words have an ability to ignite a passion for Jesus and others or to quench that. Like words have an ability to ignite a passion for Jesus in your own soul or to quench that. And that's what this chapter does. This chapter is going to help us see the po- both the positive and negative consequences of our words, both in the lives and souls of others and in our own life and soul. In fact, just looking at this before we even get into that, there are a ton of positive consequences if we wield our words as Jesus would have us wield them, if we would wield our words wisely, if we would wield our words being like Jesus. In verse 6, take a look. We can have much treasure. That your conversation can be fruitful and abounding. Verse 13, we can have a cheerful face. Y'all know what it's like to receive or give a good, positive word with nothing mean behind it, nothing passive-aggressive behind it, to receive that and go, they meant that as good for me. We can have a straight path, verse 21. We can have successful plans, verse 22. We can have a godly life, verse 24. We can have joy in our hearts and good news in the bones, the soul of who we are, verse 30. We can live wisely and be considered wise. With the misuse of words, verse 9, we can watch our money lead us into trouble. Verse 10, we can suffer severe discipline and death. Verse 13, we can experience a sorrowful and crushed heart. Verse 21, we will find joy in the wrong places. Verse 22, misuse words, your plans will fail. So practically then, how do we respond to words that will either ignite a passion for Jesus or quench a passion for Jesus? Here we go. Big idea. It's up on the screen. If you didn't pay attention to anything, just pay attention to this. Then you can check back out. Our words, our words will either ignite a passion for Jesus or quench a passion for Jesus. And the first way that we see that as we look at the whole chapter together, we're going to book it through all 33 verses of Proverbs 15 and then land on some application points at the end. The first general theme in the book of Proverbs, or chapter 15, I want you to see, is that our words will, our responses will either ignite or quench in others a passion for Jesus. In fact, check this out. Follow me through as I go through the book of Proverbs in beginning in verse 1. How do our words ignite a passion in others for Jesus? Verse 1, a soft answer can decrease wrath. That when someone experiences you using soft words, using wise words, they are experiencing somebody who, by God's power, representing Jesus, can take wrath and help quench it. Verse 2, that the tongue of the wise commends knowledge, that you have the ability, walking like Jesus, talking like Jesus, representing 
Jesus, to say as Jesus would say what is wise and what is not. That we have the ability, verse 7, we have the lips of the wise spread knowledge. That as a Christian, you have the ability to say this is what is true and right as a representative of Jesus. And others who see that can know the very knowledge of God in Christ. Verse 14, the heart of him who has understanding seeks Knowledge that those who see your responses see someone who is going after Jesus. Verse 32, he who listens to reproof uh, uh, gains intelligence. Someone who watches you receive a rebuke or correction on how to be more like Jesus sees someone who interacts with that, not in an offended way, but embracing that way, going, you know what, that is a way I can grow more like Jesus. And as others see that, they see someone who is on fire for Christ, both by how they are and how they respond to responses their way. But man, in the same way, our words can quench a passion for Jesus and others. Look at verse 1 again. But a harsh word stirs up anger. Y'all, we're gifted at knowing how to push a button or how to add kerosene to a dumpster fire of a conversation, don't we? We know how to do that. No one is helped by your helping them grow really angry at the world around them. Verse 2, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. Representing Christ, if we were to engage in a foolish way that Jesus would not, in a way that Jesus would not, we are telling others that as a Christian, God owns everything about me, and this is how we ought to be. And they look at that and go, that's foolishness. I don't want to be like that. Verse 7, or verse 14 rather, the mouth of fools feed on folly. You have a very real moment as you hear the foolishness that goes on in conversations at work or in life or in your family to either feed on that and allow that to fuel you or to represent Jesus and put it to death. To not engage. To be someone who says, I understand that that inflames you, but as a Christian, I'm, let, I'm okay with that. I'm not participating in this conversation. Continuing on in verse 28, the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Verse 32, whoever ignores instruction despises himself. Do you see how Proverbs chapter 15 all, all over the place shows us that how we respond to words, how we respond to responses our way, how we choose to engage in that has a way of either pointing people towards wisdom or adding our own foolishness into the mix. And if you know your world like I know my world and those around me, I and those around me don't need any more help being foolish. But rather, we need those who would be Jesus in conversations so that others would be ignited toward a passion for Christ in their words. And continuing on, not only do our responses to words ignite a passion or quench a passion for Jesus and others, but our words, our, our words toward 
others. Not just how others tell us, how we respond to those, but how we talk to others, ignite or quench a passion for Christ. Look through the book of Proverbs, or chapter 15 again. A gentle tongue, verse 4, is a tree of life. That you as a Christian, given the words of Christ, can be the source that someone comes to, to hear the very word that is life-giving. Verse 8, man, the prayer of the upright is acceptable to God. How you act in words in this place toward God will either ignite passion around you, ignite passion in others, or quench it. He was, verse 18, slow to anger, quiet contention. You can either add to the frustration or you can begin to quell the frustration. Verse 19, the path of the upright is a level highway. You know this. Wise words pave a pathway forward through a situation in wisdom or they add to the dumpster fire of burning in the moment. Verse 27, He who hates bribes will live. What do bribes have to do with this? Well, here's the deal. Those who avoid conversations around gaining from doing wrong, man, you bring life to a conversation. So you can ignite a passion by how you talk with others, how you encourage others, how you represent Jesus to others. And both are there watching how you respond to words coming your way and how you give words back or, uh, or, or uh, run after words back or initiate words back towards others. As you are doing that, you are an ambassador for Christ, living out his name on your life. Not only do your words ignite a passion in others, both in how you respond and how you talk to them, But y'all, your words have a way of igniting a passion in your own soul. In verse 5, Solomon tells us that whoever heeds reproof, whoever is confronted with a correction according to godly wisdom and listens and follows, is indeed careful, prudent. But on the other end, a fool despises instruction. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but a fool despises knowledge and instruction. Verse 12, a scoffer does not like to be corrected. That in your own heart, how you respond not only has a testimony to others, how you respond to things coming your way and how you give it back not only has a testimony to others, but also in your own heart, God is doing something. He's helping you see that you are one who have been named like Jesus. And as a representative of Jesus, your life is now self-denial and Christ exaltation at every single level. It is now a statement of saying, Jesus owns everything about me, even my words. So what do we do with Proverbs chapter 15? Well, a few applications as we look at this text. First, what do your words tell you about your passion for Jesus? If you were to do an index of the conversations that you had 
this week? Would you say that your conversations went about with an intentional way of representing Jesus to those around you, or did they just kind of happen? You see, an ambassador for Christ, and now, which is you as a Christian, you are given a mission and a way you ought to act. In fact, if you know someone who wears any type of uniform, uh, the analogy breaks down at some level. You know that when they put that uniform on, a mindset shifts, or at least it ought to, right? Like, it, it ought to. Uh, those of you who know firefighters, they play around, but when they got that thing on, they're out the door and ready to go. Hey, those of you who might know a cop or someone who's in law enforcement, they're okay, but once they stripe on, once they put on that uniform and put on that badge and click their cool utility belt or whatever, like they are out the door ready to go. Those of you in the military, you understand. That's where the analogy breaks down, right? Like some, but you get the point, right? You get the point. Uh, I can say that, right? You, like you, you, you get the point. That man, did it just happen as you were going about your week, as you index your conversations this week? Was there an intentionality or would you say that, no, I was at it representing that I am now clothed in righteousness, representing Jesus to everyone around me? And if that isn't your testimony and it was more like, I don't know, this week I just kind of said stuff. I'm like Michael Scott. Sometimes I start sentences and don't even know where it's going until I get there, right? Like that's uh, office, right? Like that's, that was the majority of my week. No intentionality in representing Jesus in my word. Maybe this week you need to have that. You need to let Jesus bother you about, hey, this week as you go into the workplace tomorrow, as you go back home today, as you go back into that marriage that isn't as it ought to be, as you pick up the phone and have that conversation, as you deal with your boss, as you deal with your Children, I understand that in this moment, both how I respond to words toward me and how I give words back to others is representing Jesus to them and how I, how I, uh, how I use words in my life is also something going on in my soul. So this week, I'm going to intentionally use words like Jesus would have me use words. Second, how does my response to words, how will my response to words ignite a passion for Jesus this week? Y'all, Sunday morning isn't a time to sit and soak and rest. It is a little bit. It is time to make a battle plan. Like you're about to go into another six-day stretch of a war of words. It is time to assess the playing field, understand what's on the ground, look at the enemy forces, read the intelligence reports, examine your own training and your own background and what you will do in those situations. You already know what the enemy's going to throw at you because you've failed or trained for it time and time and time again. And so when those words come at you, you know how to respond with a Jesus impulse and not your natural one. It's not going to be shocking when the per your supervisor responds in an inappropriate way. They have been doing that the entire time you've known them. 
It's not going to be a shock when your kids respond in an inappropriate way. I shared a few weeks ago, Tolson just says no to everything. Like everything. He will be eating a banana and he will, in the middle of it, say, I don't like bananas as he's eating the banana. It doesn't make any sense. That's the point. Two-year-and-a-half-year-olds don't make sense. Like they, and I mean, you, like, I know what's going to go on in that situation. Y'all, you know what you and your spouse are going to talk about this week. You know what you and your neighbors are going to talk about this week. Man, get your battle plan ready. How are you going to respond like Jesus so you can ignite a passion in others in your response to what's going on with your words? Third question, how will my words toward another ignite a passion for Jesus this week? How will your words toward somebody, not how you respond, there's a nuanced difference here. Both one is how you receive them and you engage, and the other is you're doing the engaging. Man, if you would see this week as an opportunity to give words of blessing, to give words of Jesus, to give words that are spirit-filled, life-giving, that point to Jesus as you go this week, you know you who you're going to engage with, and now is the time to ask, how can I actively engage this conversation to represent Jesus well? Because... We know that God's doing something in our soul, and we want that representation of what Jesus is doing in our soul, what God is doing to make us more like him, to be spread to others so that they can know Jesus too. And you have an incredible opportunity to do that this week with your words. Now here's the deal. If you're not a follower of Christ, Your application is not to try to find words of Jesus and speak them into some situation. That's a good thing. Knowing what the Bible says is good. Knowing who Christ ought to make you is good. But your beginning step, if you're not a follower of Christ, is to, in a moment of confession of sin and believing in Jesus, letting him make you holy like him. Letting him make you completely holy like him. You see, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and so following God's word is not important until you understand who God is and submit your life to him. In fact, it only acts as a judgment before the throne that you knew my words, you prophesied in my name, you cast out demons in my name, but depart from me, I never knew you, Jesus gives that example to those who are around him. And so this morning, if you don't know Jesus, looking at your week and how you might talk nicer to people is a positive thing. That's not a negative thing, but that's not a saving thing. This morning, if you don't know Jesus, I would invite you to know Jesus. If your words as you index your conversations don't reflect who Jesus is, you may not know Jesus at all. And then this morning, if you know that you don't know Jesus, why don't now you give your life to Christ? 
In fact, with every head bowed and every eye closed, we're going to go to a time of response. The band's going to come and start playing some music, and we're going to sing one last song. And as we sing, if you're a follower of Christ, I would ask that this week you would look ahead at the conversations that you have and allow yourself to wrestle with God over the question, Lord, how am I going to go into these conversations Not so that I can say what I believe I ought to have the right to say. Not so that what will drive me is saying the right thing so that they'll know they're wrong. Not so that I can uh, exercise my my rights to, uh, to just do what I want or whatever or say my own thoughts. But why don't you think about, God, how can I go into this conversation So that when that person walks away, they say, man, that guy, that girl knows Jesus. And you might say, I I don't know. I have like a job where I turn wrenches. I bet you can figure it out. If Jesus can use some fishermen and some political zealots and some tax collectors to spread his gospel to the ends of the earth, man, he can use you turning wrenches, I promise. So how would that look like? If you're a follower of Christ, you're having that conversation. How can I go into this, both in how I respond and how I actively engage in conversation that would represent Jesus well and him as wisdom to the world? If you're not a follower of Christ, right now I would ask that you would invite Christ to be your Lord and Savior. Right now, that you would come to the conclusion that he has about you, that you have sinned and fallen short of his glory. You say, how do I know that I'm a sinner? It's easy. Are you perfect? Then you're a sinner. If you answered yes to that, you're lying, right? (laughs) You are not perfect. Therefore, you are a sinner. And God's word says it like this. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So God agrees with that idea. And so if you are a sinner in this room and you don't know Jesus, right now I want you to know that God has made a way for you to have every penalty against him paid for fully and for you not to just be made better, but to be made perfect before him. And he did that by coming, sending Jesus, who is God, who is perfect, to come and die in your place So that your sin would be put on him that you deserve death for and you get his perfect righteousness on your life. The Bible says it like this. It says that Jesus became sin who himself was sinless for the purpose that we would become the perfect standard of God in Jesus. That if you're a sinner in here, I want you to know that God knows that you're a sinner. But he has made a way so that you could be clean, made perfect, have your sin paid for, nothing against him anymore. Your debt against him paid in full. Your death deserved in sin, given life. The old sinful ways of your life made brand new. The darkness that you walk in in sin, now you walk completely in light, all terms in the New Testament to describe what it means to confess your sin to God and be forgiven through Jesus and be made new. 
And so if this morning you'd like to confess your sin and be made new, why don't you ask God and pray something like this. Say, dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that you sent Jesus to die for my sin and that he lives now and offers life to all who believe in him. God, I believe in Jesus. Would you forgive my sin that I would be made new? If this morning that's you and for the very first time you prayed to receive Jesus and you meant it, I want to ask you to do something. In just a minute, I'll be up front. Gary will be up front. Daryl will be up front. These are all pastors who'd love to just talk with you about what it means to be a follower of Christ. And if you prayed to receive Jesus this morning, we'd love to just meet you and know who you are. In fact, we're going to hang out up front after the service closes as well so you know where to find us. And we'd love to know who you are and how we can help you take your next step in growing like Jesus. And for everybody else, as we stand up front, we're okay standing by yourselves. But if you need someone to help you, why don't you come talk with us during the song? We'd love to pray with you about what it looks like to walk and use words wisely to represent Jesus in your area. So that being said, let's pray and then let's respond to the Lord. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I pray, God, that you'd help us to respond appropriately to you in this moment. And I ask, Lord, that you'd help those who don't know you come to faith in you right now. For those who now have faith in you, that you give them the courage to tell somebody about that and that you would allow every person in this room to walk out of this place responding to your Holy Spirit, using our words in a way that represent Jesus better this week than the week before. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.